0: I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Today is our 100th episode. In reviewing the history of the show, it's paradoxical how much we've covered, yet how little. How long we've been doing it, yet how short it's been. How many places we've gone without going anywhere at all. We've brought you episodes about the biggest subjects imaginable, broken down into bite-sized pop-cultural pieces, and we've taken mundane, single-word topics and fleshed them out in all their intricate, multidisciplinary glory. We've looked at titanic philosophers from the past and present. We've read tales about diverse characters from around the world. We've done videos dissecting clips from relevant television and film, and we've interviewed interesting people from many walks of life and we're not done. We never could be because it's not in our nature, even though someday the show will inevitably end. You'll be hearing fresh thoughts from new voices in the coming weeks, but for today, we'll ask you to excuse us as we rest on our laurels just a bit and indulge in some nostalgic reflection. However, make no mistake, we're not just reminiscing about the good times in this podcast. Yes, even today's show has a theme, but what one-word theme could possibly encompass everything I just covered? I'm glad you asked. Today we'll be talking about meta-philosophy.
1: That that was uh, that was delightful. Now nah, we don't rest on laurels. Nah, we didn't. <laughs> neither one of us thought we were going to get to it I was about to say issue 100 because I'm being a comic book person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what fun! And no, we're not done. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it's it's been fantastic, and. um you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't happen
1: without you. You know, um, I it remember, certainly wouldn't happen without you, man. I mean, you're, <laughs> the, you're engineering, and you pull up, you're the one who reached out in the first place. So. Yeah, yeah,
0: and Deep, you beautiful. know, I yeah.
1: I reached out, and I
0: thought that um, you know we'd just do ten episodes, ten episodes on on the biggest topics, and um, we did those ten, and you know, I said, what do you think about making this a regular thing, doing you know doing a podcast? And he said yes, and then my immediate next thought was. We're gonna run out of topics. There's you know, we already we already did 10 episodes about the biggest things there are. What else is there to talk about? Yep. And, you know, again, talking about the paradoxes of philosophy, right? We've talked about many different things. Um, but many of the same strands from those first 10 episodes run through them, right? We cover, you know, inevitably we start digging into whatever it may be, all the way from time and god to tools or social media and there's threads that run between all of them
1: yeah, you know language language threads cultural threads or you know moments of universality that we might not have expected uh, and those are fun fun to stumble upon or to think about and say well i was thinking about this and and then uh, st- stun ourselves with where it takes us that we didn't expect it. that's For me, this has always been partly not a not a show, in the sense of 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 showing somebody else how something is done in a formal way. Oh, look at us! But it but it has been an authentic conversation, which is where philosophy resides and it's where learning resides is with laced with good humor and a mind that says i don't know everything (laughs) i know very little yeah Um, and that just lets you keep going
0: that's exactly right because um you know the listeners you've gotten to know me over the past 99 episodes but you, you don't you probably don't understand to what level i'm kind of a um a hermit or a diy reclusive person. So, I mean, you know, we talk about my music, right? I play all the instruments. I do all the recording. I do all the engineering. You know, I I am writing a book, you know, and doing everything from beginning to end. You know, I, I just do, that's the way I, I do things. And when I thought about doing the podcast, I thought about just doing it myself, right? Just, okay, I'm, I just want to cover 10 topics and I'll put them out there and see what happens. And um, I started listening to other philosophy podcasts to see how they were doing it and i stumbled across two or three of them out there where there were guys doing that same thing and i thought this is bad <laughs> this is not good um there's there's something about philosophy like you said um if you're if you're just if philosophy is a monologue it's not philosophy it's history right it's history or it's it's well it's said. education yeah. it's something but yeah. philosophy happens in the dialogue right you look at at socrates right you look yeah. at at plato you look at these these interactions between other people having dialogues, you know, human in Kant, right? Mm-hmm. These, these people with their back and forth about
1: what is, you so know, what is and fill in the blank. Yeah. Any, right? or anything. How does else. and fill in the blank or, or what if and, and fill in the blank. And, and, and that dialogue, that dialoguing, some people, well, you know, there, there are always people who will, uh, Look at such things and say, "Well, you're just shooting the crap." Well, you're just wasting air or something Mm -hmm. like that. But anybody who feels that way misses the the point of the dialogue, even if the dialogue has missed the point for them, which is probing and building and self correcting and revising in order to try to get to. A, a truth, because philosophy primarily is not about a a given or foregone truth. It, it there have been some philosophers who've, who've argued it from the, those positions, of course. But but for me, it because of my teachers, because of my reading, and because of our ongoing dialogue, and so many others, it's it's a matter of exploration. It's like doing art. Mm. So my, my daughter-in-law had this wonderful thing moment yesterday. She said, "Let's have a clay day," and she's an art teacher, and and she has a little pottery uh, studio that she's been establishing, and and she's been teaching my granddaughter, who I often mention, uh, 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 and and so here were three generations of of us working on pottery on a lovely sunny day yesterday, and. And, and with any art that I do, I always find that I'm constantly trying to, in this case, I was making a luminarium, and, and I just saw where my fingernail had been on something, and I wet my finger. And, and Because I'm not, this is my first real experience with clay. But it makes you just want to keep touching the clay. and And knowing that, oh, I did this, but now this is sloping over here a little bit, and I work on this and something else, because it's never going to be perfect. Right. It's going to be yours. And and when it's at a point where you say, yeah, I, I put my initials on that. Well, I think that's what we do every week. <laughs> it's, you know, an artist doesn't automatically sign everything that he, she, or they do. It's it's when and my art teacher has led me to this, too. When, when you say, nope, now it's ready for my imprimatur. Now it's ready for those initials or whatever sign we make. Uh, because I'm saying, yeah. This is good enough for the
0: moment, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. we do do that every week, you know, um, and that's the thing is it's it's sort of a a Russian nesting doll of of that, mm-hmm. right because you know every there's been a lot of times where you know we're in the course of of a discussion, and uh for whatever reason, you know, maybe it's it's moving too fast for my for my thoughts to catch up or whatever. I'll listen back to the episode the next week and I'll think. Yeah, that was that was an illogical or an irrational thing to say. And I've admitted it on on the show yes. lots of times. I'll come in the next week and I'll say, "Listen, guys, I don't know what I was thinking last week, but I said this thing. I've had some time to think about it and and I'm going back, right?" The important thing I think about philosophy and we've said this about the show, right? You just mentioned it, is we're not sitting here preaching philosophy. This is not a monologue with the listeners. This is a discussion with the listeners, right? Yeah. It's not just a discussion between you and I. It's a discussion with everybody who's listening. We're, we're in, we are we're want to engage you in the process of philosophy. So when we sit here and we have the discussion, sometimes we come across epiphanies that I'm proud of, that I think, you know what, if we didn't do this podcast, I don't know that I ever would have arrived at this thought on Pre- my own. Precisely. But then there's other times where I put my foot straight in my mouth, yeah, right? <laughs> and but that's not a bad thing. No. You know, we're we're indoctrinated with thinking that failure or um, these these uh, irrational thoughts are are bad. No, they're learning experiences, right? Going back, reflecting on it, um, re you know remolding the clay, right? So every week we put out a clay figure, and it's never perfect. Um, but then the next week you know inevitably like we've said these strains that run through the episodes these you know metaphysical epistemological ontological themes that continue to, to pop up it gives us the opportunities to remold the clay a little bit differently right and it's it's always been a fascinating experience and it's it's always ongoing right and i hope that you know the the goal from the beginning was to bring philosophy which you know in modern times has um been largely ignored
1: and specialized Um, gone gone so special yeah
0: bringing it to the public again in a way that encourages people to lay people to think about big topics you know because whether or not you think about them people have opinions right people subscribe to a religion or they Mm -hmm. you know wholeheartedly believe in science despite not having the technical knowledge to understand it or whatever whatever the case may be right yes. you everybody has these beliefs um and philosophy is just merely the process of
1: looking at them a little bit closer and trying to figure out why you believe them yeah look, right? at, looking at the providence the providence the source of the the beliefs or the inconsistency of the beliefs we're we're human beings we're always going to be Inconsistent in something. We can you know, one of the things I, I've much enjoyed over many decades of the Doctor Who character, mm-hmm. the British science fiction character, a Time Lord, is that he will excoriate human beings. He will say, "You, you think you evolved and you didn't. You're still back in the caves." And then he'll say, "But sometimes you're so brilliant." He gets upset about that because sometimes you're so brilliant. How come you can't hang on to that? And that's what he loves human beings for is those moments when they can be brilliant. So I I just want to please Doctor Who once, you know, but (laughs) but but it's and we and in our time on a planetary level, there are big issues. Now we're talking about big issues today, but they're there. the the sad thing is when people will use social media as a place to make absolute pronouncements and then if anyone attempts to to shape that clay then the pronouncements are doubled down upon because of the absolute surety that that is the truth and there's no way around it and if you say anything else then you're lying or if you say anything you know, it, it just gets into grenades being tossed at each other right yeah that's not a discussion Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and you you mentioned something earlier in the episode that that caught my interest right um which is thinking about philosophy as discovering truths right that's sort of a an ancient western way of looking at things right it's a platonic or an aristotelian (laughs) i just
1: stepped right on it (laughs) yeah yeah, it's
0: it's a platonic or an aristotelian way of thinking things but then you immediately recorrected and said it's in it's an exploration right and that is that is the point, right? Is that the truth coming at, at you know coming to these you know knowable truths or these ultimate truths or these sorts of things? It's it's an idealistic thing that is very appealing, um, and it's something that I think there is a human need for. Right? I think that most people want that they want that ultimate truth that they can pronounce and hold on to and, and know. Yeah. Um, and philosophy. You know, although some philosophy, philosophy, it claims to be looking for that, but really what it does is the exact opposite, right? It's this exploration that constantly takes you to places that makes that truth more and more unknowable,
1: right? It's, it is why, for me, as a literature reader, and by literature, I include everything, basically. I, I, I'm not going to be a cultural snob about this. I will read a Thor comic book with great relish, a heavy metal magazine, mm-hmm. fantasy and science fiction magazine, Shakespeare, mm-hmm. Cicero, Kant, and Homer, and uh, care philosophers, uh, Carol uh, Gilligan, and 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 uh, you know. -It's not about what you've read as, as, as goalposts and as as end, it's not an ending point. So the best literature that we have I, uh, that I have found in translation f- around re- sampling around the world uh, are the stories that are about exploration. Hmm. Odysseus, is never satisfied not even when he gets back home not even when he 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 uh, brutally kills all of the people who are trying to take over his his household and his wife and all that patriarchal stuff <laughs> ultimately he's he stays home for a little while and then he has to go back out on the journey again and 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 Yeats has one of the most uh, lovely poems that expresses this all, all experience is an arch where through I'm paraphrasing, gleams the world forever and forever. Hmm. So, you come to an arch. What do you do? If you apply, if you come to an arch, what are you likely to do, Joel? Um, probably walk under it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> why did the chicken cross the road? Okay, so why did the, the philosopher walk through the arch? To see what's on the other side, or rather to see what's next. right? Or to see how what looks behind looks like. Through the arch, or or there's a you know one of the most famous American poems that that is so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow Hmm. in the rain, and so on and so on. But it's a it's about or or uh, there's another poem about a a bottle, and the very fact of seeing that shape in a landscape entirely changes the landscape draws your attention therefore how you see the landscape changes and that's what philosophy is the landscape is going to keep changing yeah and these are you know again one thing that we talk about is these
0: universal things that run through human experience and just hearing you talk about that it reminds me of um you know there's several ways that can happen it can happen through literature i remember in in the first class I took with you, you had us read some poems and Ozymandias, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> Talk about changing the landscape, right?
2: We're
0: on my way to work this week. i um, seeing an owl on the telephone pole, right? Mm. You know, you get so used to seeing crows or red wing, you know, or uh, red tailed hawks, and even now bald eagles. I've got three bald eagle, adolescent bald eagles on my way to work. That you know, you see them, and it's always interesting to look for them. But then you see an owl, and you go, "Oh my." Oh my gosh, you know, this is something that's changing the way that I look at at the world, you know. Yes. And yeah, it is.
1: It's it's a fundamental part of of human experience. And, and it 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 is a childlike thing that one nurtures into adulthood. I I was blown away by things that I have been blown away by things and, and this is this sounds like grandpa braggadocio but it, it isn't. It's just about noticing what children do. Mm. Uh, what's that doing there, my granddaughter will ask. What? What do you see? And she has seen a, a little a daddy long-legged spider walking in a, a spot that I didn't even notice the spider at all. Or or uh, a couple of days ago, we were sitting on the grass under a shade tree waiting for her mom and dad to go get some ice cream. And she looked at the ground and she said, Grandpa, what's wrong with that worm? And I looked where she was looking and I saw two sticks in this thicket of grass. And I said, oh, I, I think you, those sticks resemble worms. And I picked the stick up and she said, no, the worm right behind the stick. And I looked and there was a, a worm that was partially raising a segment up in the air, moving just a little bit. And I thought to myself, how did he?" Notice that well, she's a child who's noticing everything. Mm-hmm. We think they turn off when we somehow cast our uh, uh, our minds to another task. They don't. Mm-hmm. They're right there. It's working. But the, but that is a metaphor for all of us. Our minds are always right there working, and can be attentive if we want them to be.
0: Yeah, I think that um, the metaphor you used one time with me was that you're you're always trying to strip the bark off you know in order to to continue growing and really i mean in a, in a physiological sense that is what what we're doing you know as you you grow into an adult you have these neurons that get myelinated right they in order to improve their speed and their efficiency but part of what it does is that it makes it harder to think outside of that neural pathway your electricity is just funneled down the same path all the time right yeah, yeah. and and it is it's something that you have to nurture but it can be done. You know, I I don't think that it's something that fades with because it's funny that you should mention that because I was researching this last night, right? Thinking about worms and thinking about wow, you know, you have a worm and one half of it's male and one half of it's female. And then that led me down this whole rabbit hole of um cannibalism in, in animals and the reasons for it and and all these different things where, all right, well, maybe those specific thoughts wouldn't occur to a child, but the the mindset, the mind frame, rather than just looking at this and saying, okay, well, this is how things are. The question is, why is that how they are? Or what is it
1: like for it to be what that is it way? it like? And that is one of the biggest meta questions mm-hmm. there is across philosophy is, what is it or what is it like? And by just by saying, what is it like, we're trying to do a comparative analysis. Mm-hmm. And when you just said that, my mind just went pop. Okay, right. So, we're okay with worms being male and female, and we don't question that or the nature of God's creation. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know where I'm going with that <laughs> ellipsis. Uh, and 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 if we don't listen to what each other's, I mean, you just, you just for me, even though you referenced something that I once said to you, you just handed the gift back and gave me a whole. I'm not any longer going to think about thinking outside of the box. I'm going to think about thinking through the myelination. <laughs> because it works much better. I can just picture sap and, and the stickiness and trying to, no, don't let me be locked into these lines. Yeah.
0: So, my first question, uh, 21 and a half minutes into the show, um, was, what is metaphilosophy? And I think that we've covered that in a lot of ways, but is there anything that you would add um, as we start to look at this,
1: yeah, I, I would. There are at least four categories of philosophy we can put the word meta on, which really means we should probably examine the word meta. But, but, but meta philosophy is uh, meta ethics and meta epistemology. Meta is, in that sense, referring to looking at the structure. Of the structure <laughs> it's it's stepping back away it is taking a a I, I hesitate to say god's eye view i won't do that it's 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 as, as if you can step back out of the milky way galaxy and look at it from a distance and see how it's structured which we which we do astronomically look at other galaxy structures when we're in the we're in we're at the you know, the periphery of the you know we're out in the countryside <laughs> of our own galaxy you know we're nowhere near the cosmopolitan center, and and we're caught up in our daily lives looking at the heads of worms coming up <laughs> out of the ground. That's not the same as looking at the whole galaxy. Mm. And so meta is taking this view that's uh, well, how does it seem to function, and why do we? Why do we structure it as we do? Right. So there's probably a lot of listeners
0: now thinking like, okay, well, I thought that's what philosophy was, right? Philosophy <laughs> is, is looking at these things in depth. So metaphilosophy is looking at the how we philosophize. The philosophy right? of philosophy, yes. So what, what is there to be gained by philosophizing
1: about philosophy? Uh, many things. One of them, it, as you've referred to it, Today is to uh, course correct, mm. to say, wait a minute. I'm going to use a, a, another uh, figuration here because I'm a, I own an old house. <laughs> and anyone who's uh, owned a house or lives in an apartment that other people have lived in for generations, and see, sooner or later, you're going to open up the wall and you're going to find something. Uh, about the electronics or the plumbing and and you're going to almost inevitably say why did they do that <laughs> i've heard myself do that countless times i've heard contractors do that you know you're yeah, yeah, yeah. and so that's the 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 process of metaphilosophy is to open up the walls and say why would you wire it this way we now know better ways to wire things. Maybe that was the way when all of you had was this material for the wiring or, or that concept of what wiring was. But now we know more about electricity. Hmm. We can make this better. Knowing full well that 100 years from now, if the structure is hmm. still extant, somebody's going to open that wall again and say, What? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that, I think what happens with metaphilos, I think the metaphilosophy has been happening for a long time because. Like I said, you look back at at Plato, right, and you see this idealism that you know. Okay, things exist out there, right? What do you think Hume and Kant con- and these guys, you know, uh, fifteen hundred years later, what do you think that they were arguing about mm-hmm. these these mm-hmm. things within themselves and these sorts of stuff? It's so, it's not the same idea, right? It's not they're not arguing about the same thing, but they are taking what's been philosophized about and then they're reapplying with the knowledge that's been gained throughout history, how we think about some of these things and and putting them in a in in a new, fresh sense. Um and it, by doing that, making it philosophy, right? Yes. Yeah. Do you think that all philosophy stems from
1: meta-philosophy? Uh, well, in the sense that that's a really interesting question. If we look at the etymology of meta. And we don't, and we and we sidestep for a moment the standard, it's called New Latin phrasing, which is essentially the scientific application of Latin words to categorizing things. The before that meta, and maybe it's it's now again coming to be this was it means uh, among, with, after. Hmm now if, if, just those three words yeah. if, uh, if if a meta means that i'm among that doesn't necessarily mean i'm part of with means i'm part of after means i've moved on hmm. and that's what the process of meta uh, in philosophy i think is is oh i'm among let's let's say i'm 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 among these ideas my thoughts are among these uh, they're, they're they're these strangers and we're, or so. But then I start having a dialogue and I'm with. But then maybe that dialogue uh, ends. people go their own directions and then or history time passes and and then something is after and I might not even be part of what's after.
2: Hmm.
1: So it's looking at that bigger picture. I mean we look at no matter what our orientations are, and no matter how much we we tell ourselves uh, we're going to live forever, and maybe in a spiritual sense, that for some it, it's, that's a truth. Still, we we have moments when we feel invulnerable. Still, we have moments when we feel well. No, not today. Don't know that, but we you know and and but we're vital and we're alive and 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 we may be sick, we may be well, we may be wounded, we may be scarred, we may, but we're still there, and 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 so is philosophy, and. And so, we can look at a galaxy and say, we can talk about the billions of years of a galaxy without really knowing what a billion years is, except for a nice construct. Oh, it's a long time. You bet. And we watch starships on TV shows flying, and it still takes for us, at best, three days to get to the moon, if we can ever get a ship launch. And and, and so, Meta is, is saying, look at the construct you have made, what are its what are its limitations? Where might it be stronger or more flexible? What pieces need to be thrown out? And then that takes me right back to the ship of Theseus.
2: Hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. If, if you have rot on your house and you have A, the time, B, the, the means uh to fix it, and C, the know-how to fix it, then you're probably going to patch it or fix it or remove it or have somebody else come and do it. Maybe you don't have the means or the time. Well, the house is not going to fall because of that little bit of rot, but you know that more is going to happen. But if you identify rot and you said, it's okay, it doesn't matter because that can't happen to the rest of my house, then you're going to be in trouble sooner or later. Yeah. Yeah, man. All right. Yeah, we're off <laughs> to a good start. So um, what initially
0: got you interested in philosophy?
2: Mm. Oh, man.
1: It was sort of a slingshot. I think I was always interested in philosophy, just didn't understand it. Um, I talked talk ideas with friends, but it also had a very, in, in some ways, um, restrictive sub theme going on in my life with religion when I was a kid. And uh had a, 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 an epiphanic moment at college when I realized that's not really what religion must necessarily be about. I'm going to study religions as a minor. Hmm. Well, studying religions as a minor quickly became studying philosophy as a minor, because philosophy came up in every literature class. It came up in history class. And so, it became readily apparent even to a lunkhead like me that there was an overarching, a superstructure. Right and it was philosophy when i found the professor who said that very thing and welcomed me into the conversation then i was then it was for life it, it was it was for life in the sense that i realized that even though in graduate school i didn't formally study philosophy um, as a major i would still take a class here and there with was philosophy so you could say well i was accruing the credits well that no it was it was about continuing to realize that, that it permeated or foundationalized everything else. And so even as I was teaching literature or composition, writing, there is entirely, there. it's called pedagogy in, in education terms, pedagogy is philosophy. What is, what is the philosophy uh, and theory of your practice? Hmm. Well, if I'm going to ask what the theory of my practice is, I've got to philosophize about that. To philosophize about that is to go back to, whether Eastern, Western, or both, well, how have other people done education? Why has this worked? Why hasn't this worked? What are the debates? And so that was why, because it was always underlying my specializations. It was, it was coming to realize, Joel, over, over decades that it's always been there. Yeah. Yeah, I've discovered the same thing
0: on on my own educational journey. Is that you know it doesn't every major that you start right. I I would bet in almost a hundred percent of them, your your first intro class, the word philosophy is going to be mentioned. You know because it is that, like you said, it is it's the meta narrative <laughs> of of all other knowledge, right? I think for me, it, it started with Crime and Punishment actually ah. um i was like 14 and i just saw the book sitting on on my dad's bookshelf and um the title just kind of grabbed me i thought oh crime and punishment huh? and then i read the book and it's just this gripping psychological story where was. not much actually happens in in the, the real world but all of this happens within this guy's head right Which opened me up to everything else, Dostoevsky. And, you know, after reading that, you know, uh, all of that, I started, you know, you start having these conversations. And it's funny because, like you said, um, this idea of what philosophy is, you know, our perspective on philosophy has changed so much over time. Um, If you were to ask me what philosophy was when I was 14 and read, Dostoevsky, I'd say, ah, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, my mom, you know, I, I did, took a logic course when I was in school. So I knew about the the Greek philosophers. That was that's pretty much it. I probably said, ah, oh, Plato, Aristotle, and you know, I guess, you know. But there wasn't much there. Mm-hmm. But after reading Crime and Punishment, all of a sudden you find um the course and the nature of your conversations with other people changing, right? It yeah. goes from especially as a 14-year-old boy, like, you know, talking about video games or, you know, talking about school or whatever you talk about, to all of a sudden asking your friend, hey, man, like, do you think, what do you, do you think you could actually kill somebody? Like, do you think that, you know, what do you think is, what would happen to you if this had, hey, well, where'd all this stuff come from, right? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, I I distinctly remember a coworker of mine at, at McDonald's, right? We're 17 years old, working the second shift, Closing up the restaurant at 11, and then hanging out till 3.30 in the morning in the dining room, hmm. right? Talking about philosophy, but I didn't know it was philosophy, right? right I didn't right, know what right. it was. You um, were doing it. Yeah. You yeah. just, you weren't, you weren't, you weren't talking about it. Right. And you then were my- engaged in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so then my older brother had taken a couple of classes with you, and he knew I was going to to college, and he said, hey, listen, you really have to take some classes with norm gayford and i said okay w- what does he teach well he teaches english and i don't even think you were teaching philosophy at that time no, yeah no, i wasn't. said oh he teaches english i said oh okay you know i'm not really not really <laughs> interested in it but whatever you know okay and you know you have to take an english course you know in school and of course, this brings up that whole debate. Well, should people have to take humanities courses? Yes, you should, because it will change your life in some <laughs> cases, right? I was I was going for a degree in criminal justice, um, mostly because I was a child and just didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I still don't. Um, but I thought, well, okay, criminal justice, you might get to do something cool. Um, all right, introductory uh, writing course. I'll, I'll take this Norm Gayford that, that my brother mentioned. And that that's where i learned what philosophy was right i think that you know i immediately i remember looking at the book list and thinking these aren't textbooks these are these are just regular books you know <laughs> and then reading through them and then the assignments you didn't ask us to write papers you know to regurgitate what happened in the story or you know to to analyze it was already at that point about synthesis about okay we'll take what's being said and then apply it to what you already know, and then come up with a unique perspective what this means to you. And beyond that, in the college setting, in a physical classroom, right? you're going to be expected to um, defend those beliefs, not necessarily from antagonistic people, but from people who are going to ask you questions, and they're going to want a rational, logical response to them. And then I think you you started teaching philosophy the next semester, and I was like, I've got to get in on this class. Um, you know, so I, I got in and you gave me Simon, uh, Blackburn, you know, and, and a bunch of other, Rollo May and some of these other guys. And from that point on, I was hooked, right? That was, that was it, but it just goes to demonstrate, right? I don't think that you or I are these, um, exceptions to the rule of, of how people think. I think that everybody has these experiences. Maybe some of them aren't nurtured as much, but but people think about this stuff. Everybody yeah. thinks about this stuff to yeah. some regard.
1: They, they do. You're you're right, and you're and and A, I just it, that touches my heart deeply that you that that story and and your dear brother who, <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, I'm, I'm always highly regarded as as your family. I I just. <clears throat> Yeah, it's not about being an exception, It's, it's, it's but it is about constantly reminding oneself. We, we are in such a combative age that it takes such fortitude, will, really, to remind oneself that what you just said, which is so, that every human being has this capacity and most people engage in it. Without realizing it, but often don't have the place to engage, and 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 I've been really fortunate. This, you know, we're celebrating the one hundredth. I'm going to say yeah, this is I am forever grateful for this opportunity because when you reached out, and not who knew we were going to be talking about metaphilosophy, but but when, <laughs> when it was, it was a chance to teach in a different way, informally. Um, I'm no fundamentally different with you on in this podcast with us together than I I think than I was in a classroom hmm. except that there was a syllabus right, right <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and but um and and the bell rings and, or whatever the equivalent is but the, the joy of interacting with minds what of, of whatever age and 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 wanting ultimately to to make a space, or to be part of a space, in which people can explore things without feeling like they're going to walk on landmines, which is which is really this is, I think, the meta philosophy of of looking at composition and writing as an example. So many people approach writing as do's and don'ts. Still, despite composition theory, despite decades of 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 study of all of this, and I say decades, that doesn't that's not very long in this. Exp- Experience of human writing. <laughs> We're theorizing about it now, yay for us! Uh, but, but to to make a place where you you don't feel like you have to. You're playing this twisted game of Twister, <laughs> where uh, right foot red. Okay, go over there. No, nope, no, nope, don't touch red. I mean blue. Well, because you used the comma the wrong way, so you're a failed writer because it's all about that comma. No, but what is the comma for? <laughs> right. There's a place for that discussion, but it's not. At the beginning of the discussion, and and if people have a place where they feel like they can they can explore something without somebody jumping on them, and usually that is through the dialectic yeah, method. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, and I know personally at least three other people that took your writing courses and went on to write books. Maybe they didn't publish them, but I know people who have who have written books because they had the same experience that i had right they went to the class and they engaged with the thinking about this sort of stuff and they thought to themselves i can do this and they and they created things right and that's that's really the fascinating part it, and that's what i wanted to recreate with the show was those discussions that we had in the classroom, right? Yeah. yeah those especially yeah. even the ones that happened after class, right? I remember I would I'd be always be keeping you after class. We do wonderful. our hour and then I'd stay after and I'd ask you questions until you had to run to the next class. I'd I'd keep there every last second. Yeah. And that's what we try to do here, right? Is just say things that get people at home to to think about it and to engage with it. So do you think you know more now than when you started or have your views just changed? <laughs>
1: you remember when we talked a, a number of episodes back uh, uh, about uh, finding out more and then realizing you know nothing or <laughs> um or finding out that what you knew was 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 wrong but that's that's been the lifelong process i i get humbled more times than i can count every single day with what i don't know,
2: hmm.
1: or negotiating the world of insurance policies, or, <laughs> or 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 trying to figure out how something works, hmm. uh, you know, and and managing to fix it or not. Throw up my hand, <laughs> the, the the practical. Uh, I I think that I I have learned more because we do learn things, but the more one learns, the more one reads the more one is in contact with people, the more one realizes that the universe is expanding. We know that physically. We know that through metaphysics. But our our internal universe is expanding, too. So it would be as much to say as, okay, I'm going to get a map of Warsaw. Well, it's really interesting. When I when I walk around Warsaw, and I walk a lot, um, do I remember the name of every street in Warsaw? No in this little place in Western New York. And then I look around and I realize about 99.9% of the places in this just just little bit of terrain, I will never walk in. Hmm. I will never know behind the door what's there. I've been up this road, but there's some streets I've never been on. And if there are, there are driveways that I haven't driven up. And that's just in a little place. Right. right well let's unfold the map now we're into wyoming county now we're into new york state now we're in the united states and so on and so on and so on so no i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah I, I had an interesting exchange with my
0: wife the other day she asked me something um hey what what about this and i said oh, i don't know she said well what do you mean you don't know and i was like i i don't know she's like well you know everything if i ask you a question you know the answer and i said well Not really. Like, if you ask me a question, you know I'm going to find the answer. (laughs) Or attempt to. Yeah, so she'll ask me things, and then I'll go and I'll look up the answer and and give it to her. That's really what it is, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's not this idea, even if I do know something, right? you Oh, hey, what about this? Lots of times I'm already thinking in my head, well, has this changed since the last time I engaged with it, right? That's the responsible thing to do, right and you mentioned this before the episode when we were talking about um an individual who had a degree um got a degree thirty years ago and still wants to act like a, an authoritative expert on it right That's not without anything that's up. That's, yeah. that's a false yeah. way of uh, that society thinks of how a degree works once you have the degree, you have the piece of paper you can get a job, you're an expert in it and you don't have to you don't have to deal with school anymore right, right. That's not really it, right like what, <laughs> It, you you have to continue to learn about things and especially once you get to the level that that you or I are at in in ac- in academia, um, it's not enough to say, oh well, I have a PhD in psychology 30 years from now I'm going to uh, you know just continue regurgitating what I learned in this class. Right. I and don't know, need to learn, won't learn change anymore.
1: Drastically. <laughs> right right. to people who would and, and this is often the people. It makes me sad because we all we all plant flags. We all create borders and lines we won't cross, or whatever that kind of stuff. But I I think when people present their their resumes as the be-all, end-all before conversation begins, Mm. it's not healthy. (laughs) It's as much as to say, "Well, here's what I know, so don't trot into this ground." Or you know, I I I think that runs counter to the idea of meta. Um because because it if you if you don't consider what you don't know and you don't consider about the limitations of the structures within which you have been trained, then you're unlikely to to push beyond that. Um, and you know you and you look I've been just fortunate in in opportunities. I've, I, I, I it seems that I will have an opportunity, very, very soon, to as a volunteer, to talk with a group of graduate students about how to negotiate their writing of a thesis uh, and adhering to APA format um, because of some situations in which they haven't been invited to have those discussions by the very professors who are teaching them. Hmm. So, I'm sort of volunteering to be in a subversive position, <sighs> In which I will be upfront with these students, saying I'm a, you know, I'm a generalist, really, in a sense, you know, and I'm not a formal classroom teacher anymore, but I'm willing to help you out with APA, and I'm willing to read your work and 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 listen to what you have to say and have the conversation. So it, it may be that uh, unofficially, off the books, subversively, I get to work with 13 more individuals uh, from all places. <laughs> You know, online in Zoom or something. And I'm excited about that because it's one more chance to say it doesn't have to be stodgy. Mm. The structure has more malleability than people sometimes tell you. Yeah, It concerns me about the metaverse, really, Mm. Um, but we can get to that
0: later. Yeah. Yeah, no, I... You and I talk about it a lot, like, you know, th- this idea of pushing credentials or, um, you know, really, I mean, people know on the show, we, we kind of rail against categorization in the sense of... Um, of an absolutist. Yeah. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that that gets lived out in my everyday life pretty well. You know, I, I don't go around advertising to people that I'm working on a PhD or that I'm doing these different things, Right. But you don't have to. If you start having discussions with people and then you start contributing what you know or what your thoughts are on a matter, um, people will will take that for what it is if it's something that's been well thought out, right? the The seventeen year old kid I was having a discussion with in McDonald's, to me, is just as much a philosopher as some of the people that I've engaged with in school who are have master's degrees in philosophy. you know, because yes. you can have a school, all right, well, you can break it down to categories again, right? Oh, well, it, it only has national accreditation or regional accreditation, right. or who are your professors? What classes did you choose? Did you actually think about your topics, or were you just a very good writer? Were you a very good test taker? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The credentials don't mean
1: as much in that it, regard. They don't. They, they 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 do mean something. Yes. A, a yeah. dear person in my life is is working on a medical degree. I want a doctor. Who has learned a lot, right? <laughs> uh, I think our specializations, of course, mean that we've learned some things, but they don't mean that we're done learning. Mm. They mean that we can offer some observations, sometimes canted by the, the specialty or specialties plural, but it doesn't mean it's the last word, it's just the beginning word. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, well, even at the beginning of the podcast, you've always uh, uh, mention something about yourself, and 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 you know, and you and and my once in future title. <laughs> but it's not like, oh, it's professor of English and philosophy, and therefore, is, is telling you he knows everything about this. Of course not. It's just there's a starting point in the discussion. A a, stu- a doctoral student in, and it starts the discussion. Oh, well, why would you do that? What's that? what's interesting about that? That's not planting a barrier post for the gate. It's it's saying, "Hey, this is something about me. Let's talk more about you."
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, speaking of beginning words, what's your favorite metaphysical
1: topic? Hmm. Favorite, metaphysical? yeah. Oh well, okay. Uh, I will blend. I will do a blended answer. Uh, Time and the multiverse. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I had with space time. Yeah, yeah. Right? okay, space time. Because yeah. it's it's
0: a fascinating topic because of relativity, right? I mean, I think that when you think about the fact that, for all intents and purposes, the theories that we currently have that have been reaffirmed through much experimental um, observation, up to and including the web telescope, yeah, <laughs> seem to indicate that space and time operate as one thing which is sort of weird right that means that this room that we're sitting in is actually it it, we're actually sitting in a time right (laughs) we're we're, we're, our bodies take up time right space yes it's a it's a very strange concept (laughs) and then i mean time by itself is fascinating right this idea that um, we can have different perceptions of time, right? If, if we don't have a clock, you can put us in different scenarios in a, in a room by ourselves with nothing to do or in a busy context and we'll perceive time differently. Mm-hmm. Or you can put a clock up in a, in a spaceship and fly it around the Earth and time will have passed differently. And that says, okay, well, what are the implications for, for space then, right? If you, if you move somebody faster, they, they age slower, right? All these things. And I think to me, the most fascinating theory on this is um, Roger Penrose, who, um, you know, talking about the beginnings of the universe, which is a favorite of mine. And the James Webb Space Telescope is turning everything on its head again, right? Yeah. We're finding out, you know, okay, well, well, you know, we thought if you look back to the beginning of time, you're going to see stars just being formed and galaxies really just uh these small chaotic messes and hubble seemed to tell us that that was the case but now we're finding out no hubble just didn't have the capabilities it was only seeing the youngest brightest stars the web is able to see the older colder stars and they're finding that these fuzzy chaotic tiny bits are actually well formed mm-hmm orderly galaxies at the beginning of time and we go what what does that mean right and we have to rethink everything yep. and so and Roger Penrose is one of those guys that rethought everything looking at it right and thinking about okay well if the Big Bang for all intents and purposes it has a lot of the same physics as a, a black hole it's pretty simple right and then on top of that if we extrapolate out modern physics, And we see that, okay, well, at some point in the future, everything will be diffuse. It will be so far apart that um, things can no longer gravitationally hold together. Um, Matter decays into energy. It's just this diffuse energy state. Well, wait a minute. Those physics are the same as the Big Bang physics. So, what if this Big Bang that happened and then everything spreads out and becomes diffuse? And then you basically zoom out far enough until this huge diffuse universe is a small dense point in space, and it starts again. Right? Yes. A mind-blowing concept. It, it's almost metaphilosophical in it, in its own
1: sort of Zen way. Yeah. yeah. I, I I just uh, a pop cultural image just popped into my head. Pop. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the frothy quantum bubbles. It's it's, it's from Men in Black, <laughs> when you just keep pulling back and pulling back and pulling back. That's the meta view. Yeah. And when you pull back, you can be stunned and frightened and horrified and awestruck mm-hmm. and land in a sublime realm. We've talked about that, and and realize at the same time, I can't possibly get my head around this, even though my words sound like I'm wrestling to get my head around this
0: i've got to ask you have you seen the digital artwork where people do that i'm going to have amanda pull up one of these for you when after the show artists are doing this artwork where they'll draw a picture mm-hmm. and then digitally they'll zoom in right so they'll draw a picture of a girl you'll zoom in on the pupil of her eye and then it's a it's a space scene then you'll zoom in on a planet and it's you know it's a different scene and you just continue zooming in and with there's dozens and dozens of different frames within small sections of the other ones
1: there is a that that that's a a marvelous description of that i i haven't seen that example but i have to tell you that in some realms of my own art what, what I'm fascinated by is is'll take a picture of uh i saw it last week i, I was I think I was disturbing somebody who was walking next to me. I was going into the hardware. I stopped in the parking lot. It's a very bumpy parking lot. Uh, <clears throat> I saw a figure in the tar. I went out my camera. and taking a picture, and a person comes up behind me and says, what are you doing? i said, taking a picture of the figure in the tar the person stepped back and said okay <laughs> <laughs> walked around the other side of the car and i thought okay that probably wasn't the best presentation of me but i don't care <laughs> i'm taking it and and then when you render that and you and you change the filter and all the silicates in the tar become space itself mm. and you have a picture of a scene of the universe yeah and it's that kind of thing which which means you, you the, the It's transcendental. The transcendentalist told us that the universe was within us, Hmm. and what you just described, and I do want to see that, is is it's the same thing. In each one of us, there is a universe. Yeah, Carlo Rovelli, who who's a marvelous science scientist and science writer writing about space and time, uh, essentially says in one of his books that we are all in our own time packet. Hmm. Like all these. Particles bumping against each other, but we ultimately are in our own time. About a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a science article about entanglement, and it was about uh, uh, bombarding ions. I won't begin to try to explain them, but in bombarding ions for a, a few seconds, there was a result that was unexpected, which created a new kind of time in which those ions existed in two different times simultaneously. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, uh, how could so the earlier question, um, do I know more than I did? Nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no,
0: and it's perfect. You know, I think that that perfectly encapsulates things. I, I, I have, it happens to me all the time with people, um, you know, hear people say, Oh, where did where did the time go or, or these sorts of things? I think to myself, man, it seems like I've been alive forever. It seems like my life has been so long and I'm a young person. Yep. Like, yep. you know, and so just that that difference, right? This these diff we are in our own sort of time packets. What's your favorite epistemological topic?
1: Uh, well, I of course want to hear your answer to this too. Um Epistemology as a reminder, being of how we come to know mm, right things. Right. My favorite epistemological topic is how we shape questions, mm. which is an art unto itself, uh, which takes much, much practice. We, which isn't to say we, 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 we absolutely we should be questioning all the time but we also realize that our questions can be reshaped as we hear our own questions
0: yeah yeah that that nicely dovetails into mine which is empiricism right Hmm. so obviously working on a, a doctoral degree um you're looking you're you're a scientist anybody who's working on a phd you're taking some course in mathematics in order to be able to gather data and interpret data and know that your data is representing what you want it to represent and informing conclusions. And that's science. That's that's the way science works. Um, But within the realm of psychology specifically, uh, psychology is a very young science. It's not very old and things have developed very quickly in its 150, 200 year history. Um, And we've reached a point in psychology that that they're calling postmodernism, right <laughs> yes so <clears throat> modern and and most people who think of psychology or think of you know sciences in general think of modernism which is um, empiricism essentially right um you start from a neutral viewpoint and then you form theories and you test those theories and you come to certain points you know certain knowledge um and so postmodernism is interesting because what they're saying in psychology right, is that there is no neutral point from which to start. If you're studying the human mind with a human mind, naturally, value-laden and presuppositional um, things are playing into how you're doing your research, right? And so, what does that mean, right? It, well, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For some people, it means that psychology never worked in the first place and that we should discard empiricism and, and modernity and hmm. go back to doing things the way that we did them in ancient so times. Very well in ancient right, times. Right, <laughs> so very well in ancient times. Right, right. So very well in ancient times. And, you know, other people are saying, well, I mean, if you look over the past 150, 200 years, it's a it's it's a start and go thing right you look at, at freud and you say well wh- man no. how much truth was there to what he was doing how much value was there to what he was doing how much science was there to what he was doing and and wrestling with this so empiricism is is the one that i i find fascinating mm-hmm. because i think that anybody who's intellectually and academically honest is going to say there's a middle ground right I, I don't think, in good conscience in psychology anyways, we can continue to say that we're starting from a neutral place. That's, but at the same time, you know we have to we also have to say that the process of science and the process of of gaining empirical knowledge um means something and it and it has gained us something over the past 150 years it does and figuring out how osmotic that boundary is and where you draw the line and how much um weight you give to empiricism versus um the the place that people start from is is going to determine the future of the field and how we interpret knowledge in the future first that's
1: that's a encapsulization essentially what you're talking about is meta epistemology which which considers from a realist sometimes and from an a other times viewpoint to what degree things cannot be neutral i remember saying many times in in science writing classes that Social sciences for a long time eschewed the use of the word, the personal pronoun, I, because it would give the impression of lacking neutrality. But there are many ways to write, as I was trying to point out to people, where you don't have to use that personal pronoun, but it's obviously still there. So, it's it's not a revelation to say that there's not absolute neutrality in the sense of when somebody sees something, because we don't know our own implicit biases sometimes, hmm. which is not to say that we still can't render something relatively neutral. <laughs> yeah. So, that takes something really simple. So, I, I, can, uh, I can say this is Saturday afternoon. That's not quite true. And so somebody would have to say, okay, no, actually it's Saturday morning. Well, it's Saturday morning where we sit now talking. But it's already Saturday evening, someplace which will be hearing this. <laughs> 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 and so is that is that neutral? No, it's rendering that there's a number of there are a number of facts that are equally true in that moment but if i say within this time frame it is saturday morning then i've presented a fact. if i've identified the time frame Hmm. but and so we have facts there are uh, i there it's unassailable to me no matter what the philosophical position is that attacks that there's no such thing as factuality i think that's
0: Yes. Yeah, and it's, I think that you've done a good job with that illustration of demonstrating how to arrive at facts. The importance of epistemology, right, is, is within psychology, right, you can perform experiments and you can do things and you can control for variables in such a way that you can, you can prove causal mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the trade off there, right, is that the knowledge is going to be necessarily um, Provisional. Yeah, exactly. And that's where what people don't like, right? They want to have an encompassing theory or they want to have something that that applies in such a way. But there's other ways of, of of doing that, right? You you can say that a person acts this way in this situation, and that's psychology. But if they act this way in this situation, that might be a sociological thing or a biological thing or a physiological or wh- whatever the case may be. So, looking at things from these different perspectives, you can gain a, a deeper understanding. Um, but the frustration at it's saying, "Well, this this field is too shallow, right? We're not really we're not really learning deep things about the human mind." Um, it, I politely say, "Bunk."
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> also, also the very nature of the, the thing that sometimes holds us back so much is our our love affair was with the rigidity Hmm. or the staticness of categories. Right. Yeah. We just get all incensed, we human beings who are still in the caves, about, (laughs) about crossing boundaries. No! Yeah. There are always borders, there are always boundaries, and you can't... Well, yeah, something can be psychological, sociological, anthropological, philosophical, yeah, all at the same time. Right. Oh, is that messy?
0: You bet. (laughs) (laughs) How about ontology? What's your favorite topic? Uh,
1: Well, this is just not going to be inspirational at all. My favorite topic is what it means to be. That's the ontology itself. My favorite topic is the basis of ontology, which is when I say I am a human being, I'm referring to the organic, perhaps, but also the intangibles, but to be is what? To live? Is it to just sit and breathe?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who was it? There was a, a
1: philosopher,
0: Parthenon. There's who he was a foil of Heraclitus. And, and that's what he said. It, it was, you know, what, it, what is it to, to be? Yeah, Right. Because Heraclitus was about becoming things, Parmenides, yes, Parmenides, yeah. So Heraclitus, everything is in change, everything is in flux. But he was the other, the opposite way, right? It was what is it, what is it to be? What is what is static, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that, that is uh, in, it, I mean, that is the foundational of, of ontology, like you said, and that's sort of the wellspring of philosophy, right? Is that we have this integrated subjective experience of reality. But then we have tools um that contradict those realities, right? That that tell us that there's things far beyond what our senses can can give us. This a priori versus priori knowledge, which we did an episode on. And and, and <laughs> trying to to synergize, okay, well what what does that all mean for for me? Right. <laughs> What does it mean, now that I know what the beginning of the universe looks like, or now that I know that there's all of this light spectrum that I can't see, or now that I know that a male spider will willingly let himself be eaten after he copulates, what does that mean for what it means to be,
1: right? Mm -hmm. And it just Mm -hmm. raises those questions. And It does, doesn't it? It raises the very... Because people will choose, you know, I've had students who do this, mm. I understand, You're, my head is hurting, I don't want to think about that, okay, but maybe you will anyway at some point, But or you'll run away from it shrieking, nope, mm. has nothing to do with me, people get to choose that, mm. we, we are choosing beings. I have just thought of two poles in literature, though, that, that when you were just describing one, mm. we, we've got Ahab. Who has a personal vendetta against that white whale because it munched his leg, <laughs> sort of like Captain Hook and the Croc, except much more serious, <laughs> um, or in his, his arm. But or we have Bartleby the Scrivener, hmm. who sits in one place and doesn't do anything. Whenever anybody asks him to do something, I, I prefer not to. We have Ahab, who's conceived the entire universe as being. Located the locus of that is that that amorphous evil in that white whale, and he's going after it with all his being. He doesn't care who he sacrifices to get there. And we have Bartleby who's absolutely static.
2: Hmm.
1: And if you read those tales, and you just read them because somebody assigned them, and he's like, okay, I'm done with that. Take, give me the quiz, and I'm done. Well, he probably didn't get much from it. But if you read the tales and say, what is going on? You know, there's a lot of psychology going on in both of those characters and, and, and they're, de- they're determining their life paths very differently. For me, the, ont- the ontological question of, of being the great liberation of it is to, to be f- free of the sticking tar of advertisements and so much else telling you what you are supposed to want. Or, or or people saying, this isn't the right way to be in a country. This is the right way to be in a country. Whatever it happens to be. And, and so, if I choose to spend an afternoon drawing, and someone else chooses to say, well, you're just wasting your time, inside I don't care. Right. I'm taking a picture of a being <laughs> in tar, and someone else finds that insane, goody for them. Uh, how I am feeling on the interior, which is alive, a fire, and the light, by doing art, is that any less important than looking at the stars? Is that any less important than pressing a button X number of times in order to produce an item? No. Is it any more important than those either? Not, not necessarily, because it depends on the time and space in which one is <laughs> existing.
0: Yeah, and that's that's my favorite ontological topic is consciousness, right? Which is just looking at that in mm. a different flavor, right? Mm. Seeing Ahab or Bartleby, and then from my subjective experience trying to imagine what their subjective experience is, right? Like yeah. What, You know, if the same thing happened to me, would I react the same way? No. So what happened in the course of their life events? What is their reality that led them to take these drastic um, actions mm-hmm. or non-drastic actions <laughs> <laughs> and, and live this way? And you can, and I think that, again, this is not something that's unique to me. I think the people, I think that you don't have to look any farther than the cultural obsession with serial killer documentaries, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh you know, people are obsessed with these things because they can't, for the life mm. of them, understand, they can't put themselves in these people's shoes, but they desperately want to. They want to understand what was the experience
1: of this person that led them to do some terrible Some things. want to understand it, and some simply want... Uh, going back to an earlier metaphor it's the, the, the lurid nature of oh a terrible monster story but don't let them get me yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh the lurid the the, the, the the there's been part of pulp fiction and, mm. and 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 reality magazines long before they were called that crime stories you know yeah. so somehow <laughs> i don't know it fascinates people yeah
0: And so, I mean, and listeners, I'm sure, I'm sure understand that part of my fascination of consciousness extends into the animal kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know based off of animal actions, right? That they're conscious. They understand, they understand space and to a lesser extent, probably time and cause and effect and these Mm -hmm. other things. And, you know, if anybody's had a pet, affection, um, you know, punishment, all, all of these concepts, that we could spend an hour talking about. These are complex thoughts and emotions and things, Um, but it's not the same as what we experience. And so trying to put yourself in that place, it's impossible, right? Because we have, I think part of what separates us from the animals is the meta part, right? The meta philosophy, the ability to step back and think about thinking.
1: Animals don't seem to possess that. There's the there's the word don't seem to, right? <clears throat> because we still like to say that we have the matchup because we have ways of expressing it that we understand, right? Well, there's a whole lot of built-in stuff there. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I and I'm not just saying, well, yeah, all animals have the same consciousness. No, of course they don't necessarily have the same consciousness, but that doesn't preclude the possibility of consciousness that is every bit as complex as ours, except we don't know how to measure it yet.
2: Yeah. And, <laughs> and
1: and this pops up all the time, right? They
0: find out that dragonflies can predict their body in space in the future, right? And they say, there's no way that based off their brain volume, they should be able to do that. Or the most recent one was they just found um, jumping spiders have REM sleep. They said, "Whoa, we did yeah. not think that these it's, things were able yeah. to have dreams." <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah, what dreams may come for a spider? I mean, that and, and you know, and I think that that's what makes people more and more uncomfortable. Mm. There were we we talked, I think, briefly about the an, an AI um, algorithmic development that is happening for a trans a translator. Mm. That eventually it seems would be able to render something of what animals are thinking. We may not want to know what animals are thinking. What would people think if they listened and the cow is saying, no, no, don't kill me now. Right. On the other hand, the cow may be thinking, hmm, light, Hmm. dark, light again, hungry. We, we, you know, we don't, but the possibility. Yeah. We project ourselves. We project our look at this there's this article I read this week about this device called Moxie, which has been this is a big thing to me. Is it's on Mars now. It was part of a, a rover package. Right? And it is generating uh in all of the temperature ranges uh and conditions that it's been placed in, generating oxygen from CO2. So, in essence, and they're they're envisioning putting a bigger package in, well, we're not talking about terraforming Mars in a few years and suddenly having an atmosphere. We're talking about multiple generations we couldn't possibly imagine if we did that. But the point is, we have put a box on another planet that is altering the planet. Before we're even there, we have projected ourselves into that place before we even solve anything here, and I, you do not have to have the, di- the dichotomy or the binary opposition of space exploration or fixing the planet. They both are much more uh, uh, connected than mm. that, I think. Yeah. But nonetheless, the, the hubris, mm. <laughs> the arrogance, the brilliance, all of it of being able <laughs> to put a box way out there to do that How dare we start working on another planet one (laughs) more? And and yet we've done it. So the dragonfly projecting itself into the future, we're the dragonfly. Yeah, yeah. So what is your favorite
0: aesthetic topic?
1: Ah. I I should have anticipated these (laughs) last (laughs) year. My favorite aesthetic topic is... Is why we sometimes seem to think that we have to localize and tame the notion of beauty. Hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, aesthetics is is fascinating because of like we were just talking about consciousness, sort of the subjective nature of the qualifications, right? Hmm. Who is to say? what is beautiful beauty necessarily because of the different subjective experiences is going to vary from person to person so culture to culture and from time to time yeah so how do we you know and and so then you know there's probably people who are are saying okay well then it's all relativistic right um but mine my favorite aesthetic topic is architecture and i think architecture Uh summarizes this pretty well right um we might not all agree on our favorite type of architecture, right? Not everybody might not everybody thinks baroque architecture or, you know, um art deco or whatever is 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 nice. But can we all agree that having a 7-foot ceiling with fluorescent lights in a in a, a rectangular building is not aesthetically pleasing? I think that I, I think was, almost everybody uh, would it's that would yeah. almost be a universal thing. So it seems that aesthetic and beauty judgments might have truths um but then what what springs from that what people consider beauty it goes beyond and
1: then you're back to asking the meta aesthetics question which Mm -hmm. is what is the structure of our suppositions about beauty which essentially boils down to and I, i love your architectural because it's so it's so immediate if we can say some, what, what makes something not beautiful, that means we have the capacity to keep working on what mm-hmm. articulating what is, whether it's true for everybody or just true for a small number. It's likely that more than one person is going to consider a building beautiful or not. Mm-hmm. It's also quite likely that somebody's going to walk by a building and say, well, that's not art, just like they walk by a, a, a statue somebody has worked on, a sculpture that somebody's worked on for hours days weeks months longer and say that's crap that's trash oh well then your responsibility if you're engaging is to say why which is is to start asking questions why would i call it trash what is it about it that i find offensive yeah what doesn't make it art in my view because then what is art
0: yeah this is the hard work of aesthetics right that people don't want to do is separating or not conflating aesthetics with other ideas, uh, whether it's efficiency or um, complexity or whatever. Because let's take our our rectangular seven-foot ceiling, um, fluorescently lit building. If you were to put that in the Stone Age, I'm sure that a caveman would quickly clamor into it he would forsake the milky way and <laughs> the and the crickets and everything else in nature to have that shelter but not necessarily because he considers it more beautiful than nature but because it offers him an advantage that that he doesn't have it offers okay. him a shelter that he doesn't have i think that is that's the issue with aesthetics right is people want to look at at art and say oh well you know putting together a bunch of trash didn't cost any money or you know, it doesn't realistically represent something, or it was done quickly, or whatever it may be. These are all conflating concepts. They do not address what is beauty and how do we make
1: beauty judgments. What wonderfully said, my brother. Bless him, he's an amazing photographer. He's an artist. He's a he's a truck driver. He works for the DOT. And he has a phrase that he likes to use, which I always uh, giggle at, which is, we pick things up, we put things down. Mm -hmm. But that's what we all do. That is what the human species does. Opening it up more, we dig things out, we put them back, whatever. (laughs) But yes, if that uh, cave person is going into that and saying, oh, protection, safety, Mm -hmm. warmth, whatever, I still say that before long, that caveman's going to get some clay or a piece of coal out of the fire and draw pictures on the wall. Hmm. Because that's what we do with blank spaces. We, we fill them hmm. in with our own narratives, our own conceptions. And for somebody who says, oh, well, that, that sculpture is not, that, that's just ugly. That's awful. Well, my mind is always, yeah, what's hanging on your wall? Mm -hmm. Is it all representational? That's okay if that's what you find beautiful is here's a picture of a barn. Here's a picture of my family. Here's a picture of a flower. But I know what it is. Well, that means that you're limiting the idea of beauty to just the representational. You certainly have the right to do that. But I require of you that if you want to engage me with insulting a piece of art, you talk to me about why you think it isn't and i can't force people to do it but that's what we do as as philosophers yeah is to
0: poke and to probe right right exactly so do you have a favorite philosopher
1: ah uh, i did um i do it's i it's i i guess it's probably terribly disappointing in the in the sense of it locates me in my time and space um socrates is rendered by Plato,
2: hmm.
1: or Socrates, as I've learned, is actually the pronunciation, and 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 not because he's an a, a self described ugly old bald guy, <laughs> but, but because, as rendered, which is due acknowledgement to his student who tried to. hit Socrates didn't write anything. Right. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Aesop, right? Yeah, Socrates, yeah. Homer. Uh, <laughs> as rendered by his student Plato, Socrates is, is the model for me of how we go through life. Uh, now, are there feminist and, and strong women and trans philosophers who do the same thing? Absolutely. So, I'm not locating Socrates by saying, well, there's the old white guy that I live by. No, it's the it's the it's the way of approaching. Yeah, that that filters all the way into most of the other philosophers that I've enjoyed and still enjoy. No, I think that Socratic questioning
0: changed the face of Western thought, really. And I mean, I know it changed the it changed the how I think about things, right? And it changes the way that I engage with people who have different viewpoints. <laughs> of mine Mm -hmm. and of course like you said there's good bad and ugly about socrates but i think that on that fact alone just the idea of socratic questioning and how plato documented it and rendered it um it it is one of the the seminal points in philosophy right and even the things you know that the socrates might have been wrong about i'm sure that if you put a socratic line of questioning to him He'd
1: probably he might change his mind. <laughs> he might change his mind. And 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 that's why I say it, it it I think I'm I'm crawling off from underneath the question by saying Socrates, but every other philosopher was questioned before and since. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't I, I don't think I can do it. I'm, I don't think I have a a favorite. Um, I know that the ones I tend to be drawn towards are also um some of those, the early philosophers, for me, it's a fascination with the generalist because that's who I identify with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a generalist. Like I, I do a bunch of different things. and um, thinking about these guys that did it so much better than me, your Da Vinci or your Pythagoras or these guys that um, that knew everything there was to know, right? Which of course is an epistemological. Um, thing in itself <laughs> but, <some> <laughs> but really you look you look at the accomplishments of these guys um you know and not just in in science or philosophy or thought but in art in mathematics in um a variety of different fields those are the ones that tend to appeal to me are these guys where you just go man you know you were living the life and of course they weren't you know you <laughs> you had to were. drink hemlock <laughs> or you, you got exiled to another country or these other things but right but you look at the life story, you look at the progression, yeah. the the personal growth, the personal contributions to to our modern thought, our modern science and things, and you, you're just in awe. You know, it's like, how did one person right. do all of this? You know? And
1: and and even if they did, then then I and I'm at you know in the place because if I if I weren't, I wouldn't have been paying attention. We are taught about these guys. Because that's what it was about for so long. And it's still, in, in some curricula, that's still what it's about. Which is to say, all of the women, all of the uh, people across time who have been uh, trans or multi-gendered or agendered or all the terminology we have, who existed then just was, exists now, were... Beginning to make an effort to find out what they contributed. And of course, they contributed much, and all the all the matriarchal cultures where where uh, shamanistic practice led to non Western wisdom hmm. um, that we do or do not even know about yet. So I, I we start from what we are. What we have been taught, we start from what we've experienced and what we know, and at the same time can say, and and some people might say, this is being politically correct of me, but I, it's I No, don't, I don't think so. Not.
0: Yeah, I think any diligent student of history is, and we did a whole episode on historicity, yes. which yes. studies this, is going to look at it and say, there wasn't a lack of capability, a lack of ability, or even a lack of output. What there was a lack of was, was a power dynamic. That allowed this right. progress to be yeah. carried on and and brought to us today. You I think know? it's
1: important to acknowledge that because it's to say, I'm still learning, I'm still finding out, and still I'm reading female philosophers. I'm reading philosophers who are neither male nor female, or both. And and that is exciting. Um, but but I think that the the eminent signposts or or a- anchor point or buoy in the ocean is the model that has been presented to us as socrates or socrates
2: uh,
1: that we know was done somewhere before and after because humans are what they are yeah somebody didn't invent questioning <laughs> right right
0: and this is i think this has exciting implications for the future if we can continue to be progressive in our receptivity to um, diverse viewpoints, I had a um, an interaction with a student on a discussion board this week, um, and she, her course of study is she wants to study um, female pornography consumption, mm-hmm. and she said there is no research about it. It's all about men, and, and you know the reason for that is probably because a lot of the academics who are looking at this are men and so their natural interest is in male reactions to it but there's been studies one of which she referenced said up to 60% of pornography consumers are female so it's not that it's not happening it's not that you know things aren't going on but it's just that there are is there, there's a lack of diversity in the researchers who are looking at the topics yeah. and as we get more women and more trans people and and more you know people from different racial and ethnic and cultural backgrounds into the higher echelons of academia you expect research interests and thus um, knowledge in in all of the various fields to diversify and become yes. much
1: more encompassing yeah the LGBTq plus the constructiveness of knowledge added to, and and blooming past what we already have—that's exciting to me. That's mm. to me that, but that's like also looking at the galaxy.
2: Mm.
1: I can see a, 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 a real-time image of well, real-time <laughs> 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 a web in, a, a web telescope image of a galaxy that is mirrored through another galaxy. There was mm. an image, yeah an, there, right, yeah, right, yeah, an Einstein ring, yeah, an Einstein ring and know that that's long gone hmm. perhaps probably yeah <laughs> and yet see that and 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 somehow i look at myself as for a moment being that einstein ring
2: hmm.
1: i'm going to be long gone and whatever humanity has become it's going to become cuz i'm only one particle in humanity but the fact that i can see humanity yeah Project the dragonfly, right? Right. That, that, that we, uh, even as you've mentioned that when the sun expands and burns the planet to a crisp, maybe we have moved on. Mm. If we've moved on by that point, millions of years from now, we won't even know what we would look like. We won't even know what we would sound like. We can't imagine a million, a billion years of of evolution.
0: Yeah. Or maybe the sun expands the Earth. We all get burned to a crisp. But then it creates a habitable environment on the moon and Saladus around Jupiter and a new sentient species evolves and has a philosophy of its own. Right? The, meta-view, right? yeah, no, the <laughs> so meta view. It's big, big
1: looking at things. So do you have a favorite philosophy book? You know, I I I do. There there are two. And you've mentioned I have a, there's a, a marvelous British writer named A.C. Grayling, whose books, plural, uh, just reinvigorated me with about philosophy. One I used for many you know, semesters with, with students and drew upon and have asked them to, to read and for us to discuss was "Was Ideas That Matter," hmm. because for me it was the first uh, concerted effort. By a, a philosopher of of great means and, and academic prowess, to render philosophy in bite size, <laughs> <as> we say, <laughs> of, of essays of a page or two. So uh, here's an idea philosophically that has mattered across parts of time to humanity. Thus, uh, uh, it's like having a campfire ready for for a match. You've set it up. You've got this wonderful fire built, or the, the, the the setting is there. Put the match under it, and I think that 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 his book, that particular one, also uh, Rollo May, who wrote a number of things, but the the courage to create, uh, which is a philosophy of of psychology and aesthetics, aesthetics, um, that I still find, I learn from. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, that was one. That's
0: one of the ones that you had had me read in that the introductory philosophy class. That really it blew my mind. Um, I think that the one that I enjoy the most is um, the origins of consciousness in the breakdown of the bicameral mind, done by Julian Jaynes. Jeez. and the the book has been sort of disparaged, um, but largely because um, it Jaynes represented it as a um, scientific text. And so, as a result, scientists and acad- you know academics um, pointed out, rightly so, that there's no way of falsifying the theory. There's no way of presenting right. evidence for it, that sort of thing. So, it's not science. But just because something is science doesn't mean that it's not an excellent work of philosophy, right. which is what it is. Um, and, and James himself, you know, we, again, credentials we don't we don't dwell on him but he was of the highest order um in you know looking at schooling and his and, own and, learning accomplishments yeah. yeah and um just you know like i said my favorite ontological topic is consciousness and his sort of um theoretical history of the development of human consciousness is so well done that it it will keep you up at night thinking <laughs> you know Wow, you know, e- even if this isn't how it happened, it it raises the question in your mind. At some point, the human species may not have been conscious, at least not in a human way, I mean, perhaps in an animal way. But now we're conscious in a human way. When did that switch flip, and what did it look like? And his illustration of that is just captivating, you know. And yeah. I I always yeah. love that book. I always recommend it to people. All right, we've been um, we've gone very long, and I hope all the listeners have stuck with us. But I'll ask one final question. I don't normally do this, and I probably should. But do you have any final thoughts? Anything that you you want to you want to put on the end that we haven't already talked about?
1: There is no final <laughs> There's only a provisional moment when we take a breather. <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> I think that's a great way to end. Because like we talked about, like I said in the intro, right? We're not done and we could never be done, right? Someday the show will end, right? Yep. Someday, the just like the way the earth will end, right? Um, but even when it ends, we're not going to stop doing philosophy, right? It can't be done. It's always going to be something that, that continues on. And each week, we'll continue molding the clay, you know, and, and reshaping it and redoing things. Yeah. yeah. And so, no, right? A, f- a final word indicates that there's nothing more to say about a topic, and and that's just not us, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> All right. Um, until next time.
2: Keep going.